Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Shopify presents cool sheets from aha to lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat-induced insomnia. That was my aha moment, bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible, signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What is going on, Baylor Sports fan? It's your man, Parker Ainsworth, here with another edition of FN Sports, the podcast for teachers grade sports' biggest issues. This week, we have a special edition of FN Sports. We're calling it Study Hall, where you bring your questions and potential theses to class, and they get graded. We took in these theses from Twitter DMs, replies, and even an email. (laughs) So we've got a lot of different things to talk about on a lot of different sports, and being really honest, since we've got a handful of things to get through, let's go ahead and jump right in all right so our first thesis comes from jake's fantasy football blog jake writes chris herndon is finally in for that breakout season i'm thinking this is a low a as i read it Uh, i i gotta be honest i had to do a little bit of research here before i gave it my final grade but i'm thinking this is a low a and let's talk about it all right so chris herndon Finally having that breakout season gets a low A for me from a couple of different angles. First, he's a 25-year-old tight end, right? And so a 25-year-old in the NFL, it's kind of do-or-die time across the board, really, right? Unless you're a 
developing quarterback that has shown some sort of a promise or you had some big first round type of grade coming out of college position players especially especially ones as dispensable as pass catchers and tight ends typically don't get a lot more time it's 25 26 it's like if you're not doing this enjoy canada the maple syrup's great now with that said he is also in a position that it's not just about his contract but he's also moved up the depth chart he's tight end one right now on this roster and they just pulled in notably Mike LaFleur. Now, when Robert Sala came over, that was the headline, right? But Mike LaFleur is going to help come in and run the offense. And LaFleur was the passing game coordinator under Shanahan and San Francisco. That's the same San Francisco over that for the entire time Mike LaFleur was there. Had this guy named George Kittle, who was really, really good. And so I don't necessarily anticipate that Chris Herndon, as a fantasy perspective, will be putting up George Kittle type of numbers, right? That's not a realistic ask of a tight end, really regardless of age, right? George Kittle is one of the best of the best and will probably go down if he can, you know, add a couple more things to the resume as should come with age, probably go down as one of the best of all time. And so I'm not going to sit here and say like, well, Chris Herndon is going to turn into one of the best tight ends of all time because that's not really fair either. I will say Herndon is a, you know, big guy, 6'4", 255, big, strong tight end, has had flashes of big catches, right? So I had a 32-yard catch in 2018, his first year in the NFL. Had a 26-yard catch last year. He got a decent amount of targets, I'd say, for a not first tight end before. And as he's moving into that role, I assume that those will go up. I would like his catch-to-target ratio for a tight end because those are usually catches in traffic. It's not like you just like you know scheme a tight end butt naked wide open unless you're Mike LaFleur, which could happen for him too, right, uh, as we're seeing this move forward. But the big thing I see helping him outside of all this, right, we talk about LaFleur, we talk about his age, we talk about kind of do or die, you see like contract year type of athletes across sports. He's got a new rookie quarterback in Zach Wilson. And for every young rookie quarterback, you really have to have some sort of a check down mechanism, whether that's a Julian Edelman type as they're running around for the flat route, or that's a running back out of the backfield, or whomever that may be, and frequently across football, that guy is also the tight end. It's not just Rumble and Dak with Jason Witten. It's not just Tom Brady and Gronkowski or Hernandez. The tight end serves as the security blanket for so many young quarterbacks. Big, strong guy, usually not running super deep routes in the field. Again, LaFleur changes that math up some, but they're typically in a scramble situation when the quarterback is rolling out right or left or in trouble, they're not a crazy pass to make on the run. They're in those same windows that a quarterback can get the ball to in space when they're in trouble, especially a young and experienced NFL quarterback. And this young and experienced NFL quarterback isn't even a guy that saw power five defenses a whole lot in college, right? And so the idea that Zach Wilson is going to rely on that, I think is pretty, pretty strong. And so I look at this thesis about him having a breakout season. I went with a low A. I'm thinking like an A minus because the truth is, is he could fail all of these things. And like I said, being Canada in a couple years playing football, there's nothing wrong with that on the grand scheme of things. However, if he wants to stick as an NFL tight end, now it's time to do it. He has things working in his favor. He has a strongly projected but young quarterback throwing him the football. He has the offensive coordinator that is going to be able to help scheme him to those situations and help make sure he gets those. And it's a contract year. And so I started and ended with this because this happens across sports. And 
basketball. You see a guy that will shoot a crazy high three-point percentage from the corner and the year before his contract's due because he knows that that's going to help inflate his next contract. In baseball, you see guys that are hitting 10 and 20 points higher on their batting average. And you you see this kind of thing happen a lot. Running backs show up in better shape or receivers will show up having lost five or 10 pounds to you know be more agile. Like This is a consistent theme in sports. And so at 25, that's near the end of his contract. This is the, kind of the same thing for him. I also think it's interesting to see what LaFleur does as far as treating him more like a traditionally large wideout. Like there's an alternate reality here where like Chris Herndon ends up being a almost possession type 6'4 receiver at 6'4, 255. And that is a scary thought for defenses. Speaking of defenses, we're talking about the AFC East. Now, I know that that's not necessarily the same pushovers it was for several years of the Patriots runs, right? Where those were just six easy wins across the board for them. And I'm not saying that the Jets are necessarily going to run away with that and win the division and so on and so forth either. However, it is not the same kind of a beat-down division that the AFC North with multiple potential playoff teams will be, right? This is not the kind of gauntlet that that would would entail. And so I think that that'll also play into his favor. Across the board, though, I I just, I I think that the limiting factor on this thesis and why it's an A- and not an A is there's a chance that he just doesn't and then he's just not a forever NFL tight end. And that's a very real reality for so many guys, especially a guy that was drafted in the fourth round, right? Fourth round draft picks don't always pan out. That's not necessarily saying that they don't. They frequently do, but they don't have to pan out just because you're a fourth round draft pick. There's also this idea of what does it mean for Jake's fantasy football blog to break out? Is that a big fantasy year? Because I do think that that could happen, right? He is not a big touchdown threat in the past, but moving up the depth chart and again, all the facts we talked about before with his coach and coordinator and quarterback situation changing, that could make him more of a touchdown target in the red zone, a touchdown target, even as we saw the Niners do with Kittle from further out than that. And so I think there's a real chance here that he does have a breakout season. But if you were saying breakout, like he's going to be George Kittle, that's why we're in an A minus, not A plus, right? Breakout needs to have some sort of a defining factor to it. And I guess that that's why I hedge as far as what I'm going to necessarily say. But I think he should have a good year. And he might be the kind of name that because he's playing in New York and Zach Wilson's got some swag and some buzz that you are hearing a lot more about as the year goes on. I don't know if he's a forever kind of guy like that, but that could certainly be how this year shakes out. Our next thesis comes from Zeke's Spoon, which is at Spoon of Zeke on Twitter. And Zeke Spoon asks, or I guess they propose the thesis, Tony Pollard will have a more impactful season than Zeke, much as that hurts to say. This, this gets an F from me. I'm going to go F plus because I guess like it's football and crazier things have happened. And, and so on, but this gets an F from me. All right, so I don't mean to like dismiss everything that Zeke Spoon is saying here by effing this thesis. I want to point out that there are some interesting points in talking about a breakout year for Tony Pollard and that Zeke has had up and down seasons in his career. And so Tony Pollard, I think most interestingly this June, has been working out some as a slot receiver. And so there's a potential there that these guys are on the field at the same time. We've also seen the Cowboys use Ezekiel Elliott as a slot receiver. And so like maybe that was where this was supposed to be headed, in which case I would say the F is really from a you-need-to-rephrase-it-pard kind of thing. But as I look at this thesis, Tony Pollard is not a better football player than Ezekiel Elliott, even if he is slightly younger. 
even if he's slightly younger, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be like fresher or whatever, because he's had a fairly decent workload to this point in his career. I look at Ezekiel Elliott and I think, man, that is in many ways, and I know quarterback is Dak Prescott. I know they have a lot of money invested at linebackers. Ezekiel Elliott's the face of that franchise in so many, so many ways for better or for worse. Everything they do on offense based on the premise that there are eight guys in the box to make sure that they stop. And it's not always eight, right? It's usually seven and a guy at the edge or whatever, but trying to stop what Ezekiel Elliott does because he doesn't need a full crease even to break loose and really make you pay. He's got this crazy combination of being able to both physically punish you and if you come in too hot, he's going to scoot around you. He's got a, he's got a really strong package in that sense. The other thing I think that as I look at these DCs you have to remember is that the Dallas Cowboys are bringing back Dak Prescott next year. Dude got his money. Uh, dude is healthier, right? In theory, it was a clean break as opposed to you hear sprains and tears and stuff maybe heal differently. Like broken bones heal better than other types of injuries in your lower body. And so there shouldn't be unless there are other complications that are unreported or underreported or whatever. Theoretically, Dak Prescott should be good to go. And that chemistry matters. A lot of the Dak Prescott running game is based on you have to stop Ezekiel Elliott's running game so then Dak can pull it and scoot around the edge or pull it in a more of a tradition like the old what Oklahoma did with Baker Mayfield the wide power where the outside guys actually ran back and the quarterback dies the couple whatever the trade-off there is that does not carry the same weight with Pollard the other aspect of this is is that it doesn't carry the same weight because Pollard doesn't have the same kind of stuff in his bag like Pollard's not going to run over a Mike linebacker in the in the hole trying to break through a crease right that's just not necessarily the same kind of thing Pollard is a great scat back he will be on the field a lot and I think as a Texan and because I'm a glutton for punishment I guess Cowboys fan I think that Pollard moving to a slot will offer some cool packages you can have both of them on the field at one time have them both in the backfield in a shotgun type look motion one to the slot motion back and forth you know next huddle breaks they're both in the slots next huddle breaks once in the backfield like it does offer versatility however the bulk of the carries are gonna go to Zeke the bulk of the carries have always gone to Zeke since he showed up in 2016 as a rookie running back alongside rookie quarterback Dak Prescott, right? He's led the league in rushes twice. He's led the league in rushing yards twice. Led the league in rushing yards per game three times. He is as strong a running back as you can get. And I would be remiss if I did not think that Jerry Jones will also have a hand in this because Jerry Jones has a hand in everything the Dallas Cowboys do. As I look at the amount of money Jerry Jones is paying Ezekiel Elliott to play football for the next several seasons, right? There is no way that he's going to sit there and watch Tony Pollard potentially make a mistake. And I don't mean that to say that Tony Pollard would make a bunch of mistakes, but the moment he makes a wrong read on second and eight, and it could have been third and short to third and like 12 because of a bad cut or a bad read or whatever, God forbid they fumble the exchange on a quarterback read, right? Because there's no chemistry there. You're going to have Jerry Jones barking down from the owner's box. I'm paying Ezekiel Elliott $9.5 million base salary in 2021. Give him the freaking football. Like that at some point, Jerry Jones carries that kind of weight, again, for better or worse, in that organization. And that's too much money to not ride with Zeke. 
live with Zeke, die with Zeke, but that's how that's going to go. The other thing here is just that I know that he had, you know, by his own standards, a down year and that he didn't break a thousand yards last year. He played in 15 games. The only other time he has not broken a thousand yards as a running back, Zeke Elliott, that is, was the year he got suspended for six games. And in 10 games, he had 983. And this year in 15 games, he had 979. So like it was a down year. However, Y'all watch those games. When you watch those games, you got Garrett Gilbert. And I love Garrett. Garrett's a good kid. But Garrett Gilbert sitting back there trying to throw the football. No, you loaded the box. That's when you really do put eight and nine. You pull your safeties down and say, all right, make Garrett beat us. And they couldn't. The Dallas Cowboys stunk last year. And so as I look at this roster, I do think Tony Pollard will be a weapon. So maybe get it to this F plus because he, he is a weapon. But he's not going to be the same weapon. That is silly. As I look at this too, I think that like Zeke's numbers were down last year, but there are such easy explanations. And I say explanations because I know someone like Spoon of Zeke is going to come back to me and tell me their excuses. These are not excuses. The way you see defenses play you is different. These are explanations as to why Ezekiel Elliott had a bad season at 25. Okay, now F plus, not like not like a thesis I didn't read, not like one we're not even going to talk about because football is weird. The caveat here and the reason I'll give the F plus and not just say we're not reading this thesis is, frankly, there is a world where running backs just don't last past the age 25 for very long, Mr. Ainsworth, and that means that it's time to hand the reins off. I don't think that Jerry Jones will allow that because of the amount of money he's paying through the end of 2023 at least. However, I guess there is a world where that happens, where the McCarthy says, screw you, Jerry, and grows a pair that he's never had and decides to go with that. We'll see. I'm not predicting it, so I flunked this thesis, but I think it's worth reading because I guess theoretically football is just weird enough to where you got to. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. All right. So this thesis comes from friend of the show, Jade Auxiliary Things Johnson. That's at Auxiliary Things on Twitter. She replied to the tweet and she said, NBA referees are about to be asked to see and evaluate even more with the changes to offensive foul rules coming. It's time this league to consider that three sets of eyes are not enough. I have a plan for that, which also includes getting rest prepared for NBA caliber players. So the crux of that thesis, if you were to summarize into a statement I hear, is that there need to be, I'm assuming, four NBA referees on the court at a time. And she included some good reasoning. I'm going to give that a B. I'm not completely sold 
but I do think more eyes could help. So I'm gonna sit with a B for right now. So I gave Ms. Johnson here a B on the thesis because I do think there's some validity to this. So let's go through the pros first. First of all, having more referees on the floor at a time will give, as she's saying, more eyes to all of the fouls. And as they continue to add things that are and are not fouls and add intricacies to what is called in an NBA game, that's important. As it currently stands, you have three NBA officials in the course of a game. They kind of alternately stagger and will rotate as the ball moves to get to the points of contact quickest. Uh, there will almost always, unless the players literally beat the refs down the floor, there will be a referee at the baseline, right? Then there'll be a referee about the two-third, three-quarter mark on one sideline and the referee behind the action on the other. Uh, that's currently creating a form of a triangle and they have their eyes in specific places based on what is happening and where the ball goes and so on, okay? A fourth person, you could create more like a box. You could cover more space with more eyes. You also then take off some of the responsibility. If you think of a game being divided amongst three people, that game is now divided amongst four people. And so theoretically, everyone's working 33% of the game. Now they get 25% of the game or whatever it actually shakes out to, because I'm sure it's more complicated math than that. However, those are good things. I'm also, as a teacher, a fan of group projects in a way, right? The more brains you have on a singular thing, the better that could be. Meaning if we're sitting around trying to figure out intent, watching a replay on a flagrant potential, whatever, in a clutch moment of an important game, more of our brains watching it at one time is a better thing. And so I do think that there's validity to the pros of that. However, this is a B and not an A. And the reason it's a B and not an A is because I'm not sure there are currently enough decent officials to have three referees at each game. There are not enough good officials currently to have three at a game. How are there going to be enough to have four at a game, right? Like just intuitively, you don't just make a good official. They take training. They take, you know, understand the rule book. They take understanding of the game and they take understanding of the moment and it takes experience and all of those things factor in. And I don't know how you just like manifest a bunch of decent referees because frankly, if you just manifest better referees, they probably have better sets of threes than they do. Obviously, people listen to the show frequently know I'm a Rockets fan because again, like I said in the last thesis, glutton for punishment. And I do have this thing where I think that referees take things personally and I've seen it play out. There are like moments where I don't understand how Scott Foster continues to get jobs refereeing playoff games. He clearly does not like certain basketball players. And that's not to say that you have to like everyone you work with. There are people we all work with that we don't like and that we would prefer not to have to work with on group projects and stuff at work. In this case, they're working together at a game, right? The Scott Foster, Chris Paul beef being one of the most notable of the last few years. The Phoenix Suns broke the Chris Paul, Scott Foster curse the other day by finally beating him for the first time. A Chris Paul team had beaten Scott Foster in playoffs in, I want to say, four years. However, Chris Paul was not in the gym, so I don't know if that really counts or not. But as we're looking at it, if you're having trouble filling out those, Scott Foster continues to get jobs in games that he has no business being in. He continuously, you know, obviously 
the NBA says they grade the referees, but they keep them private, and we don't see what those grades are. If you're following other people online that are grading referees based on you know the benefit of hindsight, benefit of replay, and so on, and being able to slow things down even, Scott Foster's not a greatly graded official. He's not scoring very high in these games. And so he continues to get playoff games. Without trying to be too pessimistic or too tin-hat conspiracy theorist, I look at that as... He is getting games because they don't have enough officials for him to not get games. And if they don't have enough officials for Scott Foster or Ed Malloy or whoever to not get games, then I don't know how we're going to get more refs in these games trained better than those guys are. And at some point, if you have one of your three officials on the floor is decent at their job, and I'm going to now diminish what that one person does by adding a fourth official that 33% of good refereeing I was seeing is now going to shrink to 25%. The NBA has notoriously had bad refereeing in the last decade, maybe even 15 years. This is not even jumping into the Tim Donahue scandal from you know 20 years ago. But if you look at it, the game has gotten so fast, you guys are having trouble seeing it in real time. Allowing things like gather steps have created this confusion between what is a travel and a gather and a zero step, right? allowing things like certain amount of contact at the rim as the game has gone away from the rim has created this conflict of like, well, is that a foul on a shot here, but not a foul on a shot there? And they're shooting so many more shots here now. And those kinds of things become a problem. And so there are lots of issues I see the NBA having to address in refereeing. Bub Sports has written about this repeatedly. There are different dunce cap articles, plenty of stuff to go read on this, and there's lots out there about it. However, I'm not sure the fix is add more chefs to the kitchen, right? If you're looking at a kitchen and you have one head chef and a bunch of people, you know, prepping all the stuff behind them, adding more people behind that chef does not make the job easier. It might just be more people to get told what to do and more people that potentially mess something up. If you could convince me that you can train these new refs well and train these new refs to have you know, more efficiency in the way they communicate and have thus better calls because they're working together better, You know, maybe we can start talking about this. But I really look at this as great theoretically if all the refs were good. I just think that just like there are some NBA players that are not necessarily up to the caliber of NBA players and there are some... NFL players and Major League Baseball players and lawyers and doctors. Like, there are people that have, you know, there's a spectrum of whether or not you're good at your job. There are so many people in NBA officiating crews that don't seem to be up to snuff with the modern game. I don't know if I'm ready to add a bunch more to it. I do think, though, that if they were all up to snuff, this is an interesting idea and would help, you know, ease the pressure if you're one of four versus one of three making a call. So I'm sitting at a B right now. I'd be interested to hear more about the fine details of the thesis. So our next thesis comes from a listener who sent it in in an email. And so I'm not going to necessarily read their name out loud because I assume if you didn't reply to tweets, you're not trying to get your name out there too, too much. However, this might have been in the haste of the Hawks beating the Bucks on Wednesday night because one person writes in that the Bucks should fire Coach Budenholzer even if they win the NBA Finals. And that is quite a hot take. I'm going to sit at like a C plus. This passes. The kid gets to keep playing and doing extracurriculars. But I'm going to sit at a C plus on that thesis. All right, so again, the thesis reads, the Bucks should fire 
Coach Budenholzer, even if they win the NBA Finals. And I gave that a CC plus because I have a hard time. The reason it's so low, so I'll start with the low points. How are we going to fire a coach that wins an NBA championship the year he wins it, right? We've seen coach get fired later, but you got to keep riding it a little bit. You also have a team that surrounding Giannis Antetokounmpo, your big three is locked in for a couple of years now. And so whether it's Giannis or Middleton or Drew or whomever, you really do have that core, even if, you know, P.J. Tucker is... 36 and a free agent this summer, or Brooke Lopez can't play forever, or at some point someone's going to overpay Dante Giovincenzo, it doesn't have to be you, or, or whatever the case may be with all those guys, your core is locked in, and if they can win a title with Boonholzer now, I just don't know if I'm ready to get rid of him this summer. I also will say that like for all the way up and through like March, I was, and continue to be in a lot of ways, a big Budenholzer critic. The big Budenholzer criticism has continued to be that he doesn't make adjustments mid-series very well, the way a modern coach tends to do it. And I think that that's been fair. What changed in my mind in March was around the time they started trading for guys like P.J. Tucker, what they're doing more and more in Milwaukee in the regular season and at random points, it feels like, like doesn't seem to be a whole lot of rhyme and reason in the playoffs with it, is they do go to these experimental lineups. They're trying to see which of their wild cards can get played. The same way like when you're playing spades and you've got that two and you're ready to drop it whenever. Like You're trying to wait to play it at the right time, right? You're trying to play it when you need to take the trick from your partner with the nail or you know whatever the case may be there. And Budenholzer seems to have experimented that chemistry regular season. You saw them in all lineups where Giannis was playing like a two guard with like Drew Holiday bringing it up, Giannis next to him, and then you had like Tucker, Portis, Lopez, just size, 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 size. And then you also saw them run lineups out most notably at key points of the Brooklyn series where they went Giannis at the five, they went Tucker at the four, and then they went small. They went Middleton, they went Drew, and then they'd roll someone out there, whether it's Bryn Forbes or Connaughton or some other person at that fifth spot to keep the lineup small. The interesting step to me and what's been so, like, makes me want to pull my hair out about the Milwaukee Bucks in the playoffs has been that they continue to do those things and then still watch Giannis try and beat his man on the bounce from the perimeter. When the truth is, is that that's a great tool that cannot be your primary form of offense, right? That just has not proven successful. And so they do things like they'll run an empty side pick and roll with the backside. So they'll go full flex cut out of the backside guy and they'll run Forbes off of a full baseline screen in the opposite corner. And then they'll have the empty side. They'll run a pick and roll with Middleton rolling Giannis to the dunker spot and so on. And like they'll do it once and it works. They do it a second time and the ball gets tipped on a bad pass, stolen soda, but other way for layup, whatever. That happens. Basketball, both teams practice. But then they don't come back to it. And I think that's where I think he is a fireable guy because I was surprised to see them doing those kinds of changes and and lineup changes and shifts and things like that in the regular season this year because that's not who Budenholzer has been. He's always been about like getting every regular season win possible. This year, that was not him. And then he got to the playoffs, and I thought part of the reason they beat Miami was after a close game one, he looked in the mirror and made some changes and really went about it, pulling in Bryn Forbes for more minutes because he realized that they weren't able to keep up with him up while the rim Hamilton cups for, you know. And I thought those were important. Then they get to Brooklyn, and the exact play I'm talking about with the empty side pick and roll to Giannis 
is working because Blake is in too deep a drop and is having a hard time covering both guys. And they get away from it. And so when Giannis is dribble driving, you know, penetration off the bounce, trying to puncture the defense that way, Blake's setting up for a charge. And Blake's really good at taking charges. And that doesn't work very well. And I was frustrated with that in the Brooklyn series. This thesis came to us the day after game one versus Atlanta. I'm sure with some of the same frustration. I guess that's why I sit here at this C grade is because there are reasons that Budenholzer should be fired. But the idea of breaking that precedent from if they win the NBA Finals, he still has to go. Like, who are you getting to replace him? Because unless the, it's something like Giannis says, I don't like this guy, and every quote has been that Giannis likes this guy, but unless that's the case, I don't know how you can justify getting a new coach after a long season really long two seasons at what will be July with a championship ring on his finger. The Boonholzer thing that I also think will be interesting is theoretically beating Brooklyn was kind of their getting over the hump moment in a lot of ways, right? Now I know Brooklyn was battered, beaten, and bruised and not quite themselves, but those are the kinds of series that Budenholzer has struggled in. Those are the kinds of moments that Giannis as a player has struggled in. Those are the kinds of moments that Drew Holiday, before playing with the Bucks, has never gotten to play in, right? And so getting to see them get over that hump feels like they ought to be boat racing Atlanta. This is a young team. Why are we, why are we messing with Atlanta, right? They should be easily going to, you know, the Suns and Chris Paul coming back from COVID, those kind of things. Like, what, what's going on here? Why, why should that be such a big, big deal? Or is it the Clippers? Like, Kawhi is not himself. Like, so who, what, this feels like this should be being handed to the Milwaukee Bucks because they're so talented. And since it's not being handed, the answer goes quickly to, well, it's going to be the coach. I look at the influx of coaching jobs, right? We're seeing today that Carlisle looks like he's said in Indiana. But at one point, we had almost a third of the NBA needed a head coach. That means that there are a lot of coaches out there because that... Eight, that set of eight people was looking for a job, as well as all the assistants you see getting called up. Now, what we don't know here is somehow through all this mess, Boonholzer has gotten really close to Giannis. And so it is a guy like Chauncey Billups, a little bit more of an old-school-minded, tough-nosed kind of guy, is that going to mesh in the same way we just saw it didn't mesh in Dallas with Luka, another young international star, and a tough-minded Rick Carlisle, right? Like, that didn't work. So is there potential for that to not work in Milwaukee? I don't know. I still think Chauncey's a great coach, but you got to get someone that's you know, going to click with Giannis because that's what the deal is in Milwaukee. You're not going to get a better player than that. Uh, you, you don't, you're not a free agent destination, and as long as Giannis is on your team, you're not drafting in the lottery. And so that's, that's the guy you've got right now. There's talk about where is Becky Hammond going to get to be a coach, right? She's been following Pop along this whole time. And she's done all of the things to this point, as we sit here in the summer of 2021, to go get a head coaching job. As I look at Becky Hammond's resume, it weirdly is not a whole lot different than Budenholzer's resume would have been when he took the Atlanta job in 2013. And I don't know, call me superstitious. If I'm firing one former Popovich assistant, to bring in another more current Popovich assistant. I don't want to do a lot of vetting. I think Becky Ames is going to stick somewhere. I think this is an interesting job for that to be the place. Anyway, as I get to this, I think the most damning thing on the Milwaukee Bucks, the most damning thing on Coach Budenholzer is that the Bucks should fire Budenholzer even if they win the NBA Finals, is getting a C-plus when that is an unprecedented type of move. And so... If that's really the move we're going to go with, maybe that's the most telling thing, is that we're sitting here talking about it with 
actual rationale. Like, this is not a crazy, oh my god, hot take out of the left field. It is something that could actually happen. And that probably says enough. Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. Thank you for tuning in and submitting your theses. We got to most of them, not all of them. We got a few more in the can if we need to get to them. But thank you, and I hope you enjoyed breaking those down. Just a heads up, it is summer vacation for us teachers, and in the next couple weeks, it will be challenging to get out shows. We aim to be back in full capacity following the July 4th holiday as we get ready for the new year, doing things like setting up classrooms, doing that summer reading book, doing some extra prep on online courses and stuff like that. We might be able to get a show out between now and then, but be sure to be paying attention to our social media handles for more on that. As for those social media handles, you can find me and my personal stuff on Twitter and Instagram at Painsworth512. That's at P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512, all one word, on Twitter and Instagram. We have a show Twitter. The show Twitter is at FNSports2. That's at F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S, number two, all one word, on Twitter. I'll use dash P-A. Kevin will use something like Dash KC or something like that. Uh, but be sure you're checking out to see who you're talking with there. We also share a lot of different information from our various friends on the Twitter. We have our own Instagram page. You can find us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. Where we post different videos and clips and graphics from things we've been talking about and things going on in the world of sports. So be sure to check that out as well. And as always, you can check out the host of other Belly Up podcasts on BellyUpSports.com. I'd love to recommend the work the, po- the folks at the Midweek Midrange are doing, even as I'm taking a quick break to do some summer vacation kind of things. Doing a great job of breaking down all things basketball as we come to the end of the playoffs in the NBA. We also have some great shows like The Broadway Hat, which will tell you more about hockey, specifically New York Rangers hockey. Uh, we've got things like Slapshop Sweethearts is doing a great job breaking down the NHL playoffs with seemingly daily shows. They're putting out a ton of content. So make sure to go over, check out what they've got going, and be sure to like, subscribe, download those shows, as well as this one. That's right, like, subscribe, download, rate, do all the wonderful things that help out the podcast. And remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.